0: Greetings, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to Community Profile, voices from the real world. Profile Theater is a theater company located in Portland, Oregon. Profile Theater centers the season around a season-long featured writer. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. Community Profile is an affinity space built around the structure of a free writing workshop. Participants in Community Profile meet, write, support, share, and bear witness to other people who may have walked a mile in their shoes. In Community Profile, we feature writers who have won awards and had numerous books published, as well as writers who are making their first foray into expressing themselves on paper. What this podcast does is give those writers, those creators, a chance to share their life stories and their writing in a public forum so that we can celebrate and appreciate victories that have been won and challenges that have been overcome by people whose lives you may recognize or be experiencing for the very first time. With us today is actor, playwright, and director uh, Ajay Trapathy, um, you've probably seen, if you live in Portland, you've seen Ajay uh, work around Portland on, on various stages for the past few years. Uh, Malagro, Salt and Sage, Theater Vertigo are just a few of the ones um, that he's appeared at. He also teaches at these That's various right. spots and is a multifaceted artist in general. Welcome, Ajay. Hey, thank you. Um, I'm really glad you decided to join us. Um, please... Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and what makes Ajay Ajay.
1: Yeah, well greetings to Occupied Portland. Uh, I am a playwright, a queer brown playwright um, from Corvallis, Oregon originally. My dad is from India and my mom's Mexican American. uh, So I'm biracial, I grew up queer in a small college town and I found my way to Portland. I graduated from Oregon State University in theater, and I've always been into uh, political prop theater and um, and writing as well. And uh, I've worked at uh, Milagro as a tour manager and education director uh, as part of a mission to uh, get young artists of color involved uh, in the theater arts. And... Um, and as well as uh, spread educational workshops about uh, the beauty of the Latino-Latina-Latinx experience.
0: Um, indeed. Fantastic. Um, tell me about growing up in Corvallis uh, with this combination of identities that you have.
1: I, uh, it's a beautiful little liberal bubble of a town. Um, but it's kind of liberal in the same way Portland is, where it's ninety percent right. white bubble, uh, and it's um, it's you know it's uh, it has great uh, it has greatness to it and uh, a, a real appreciation for the arts. Uh, I was p- probably the only brown person involved in theater uh, for the majority of my life, uh, so that in itself was an isolating experience. Sure. Uh, as well as being queer, when I was growing up, uh, there weren't a lot of outlets. There wasn't even an internet until my senior year of high school, so uh, it was also very isolating, and uh, it's nice to see now that there's more resources uh, for young people. So, uh, even though I felt isolated at times, I would go uh, to the pen and the paper or uh, to creating art as uh, as my outlet.
0: How did uh, you wind up turning to theater?
1: I've just always loved theater. I've always uh, enjoyed watching theater. Uh, like, I like telling stories. I like hearing stories. Um, I, did, I, did, I, got, uh, I did a lot of theater in high school, and that's where I found my niche and uh, people that, could support, uh, that I supported and could support me as well, and uh, I just loved it. And I, uh, I, th- I think I decided I wanted to work in it when I when I took a field trip to uh, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, and mm-hmm. I realized that that uh, that was for me. And I tried a bunch of different uh, things to occupy myself through college. I, I worked as a nursing assistant. I studied religious studies, philosophy, psychology, political science, uh, but theater was always. Uh, there in the background telling me that, um, that you must feed me as your muse, uh, so I did.
0: I'm so glad you just told me that because when I read your stuff, I can hear and like all those different influences uh, in, your, in your work and in your, in your sensibility, you know, and it's uh, really impressive. Did you start out doing agitprop theater, uh, or was that something you turned to when you moved to Portland, or was that something that was developed growing up in Corvallis? When I was in college, I um, I
1: just felt uh, I didn't always see the lives. Um, I didn't see real life reflected in a lot of the plays. Um, a lot of them are wonderful and great, and I, I support the classics. But I uh, always felt like there's there must be more. Um, and uh, when I took multicultural playwriting, uh, uh, women's playwriting courses. Uh, Luis Valdez came and he spoke at our college and I've had nice. the pleasure of meeting him since. Uh, I realized that theater could be so much more um, than, than than the general idea of what theater is. And um, you just have to poke a little bit at it and And the, the professors there were very supportive. And uh, so I, uh, I, I was selected to direct Uh, My senior year, I directed uh, Doric Wilson Street Theater, which is a piece about the Stonewall Riots. And uh, I've always just looked at theater as a way to make and create change. And when I started working at Milagro, um, I studied a lot of uh, Mm. Boal and Theater of the Oppressed. And then I started to look at theater as more of a tool uh, rather than a commodity, where it's uh, it's just a framework with a bunch of different tool sets to be able to share a narrative uh, and to be able to control a narrative and and think about things like organizing and solving societal problems as well.
0: And, you know, that is almost a revolutionary idea, uh, even today. I mean, and it's been around for a long time, probably for as long as theater has been around, you know, uh, but I still think it has that impact and that import around it. You know, um,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, with theater was always. Uh, I always think of the the idea of the fool, the uh, the entertainer, as a person that can tell the truth to the king.
0: Right, right, uh, right. Did you ever read uh, Leroy Jones, Amiri Baraka, early stuff?
1: Uh, yeah, I got a. Uh, I got involved in Amiri Baraka. Uh, when I was in college as well, a Dutchman uh, definitely changed my life. Yeah, as well as yeah, I this poetry. Yeah,
0: uh, that play was like an explosion in my head. I remember when the first time I read it. I, you know, and it upset because um, I don't know. It's funny. I grew up in the Air Force, so it was like a lot of like like. There were a lot of people who were like me. of uh, mixed heritage. We had I mean, we had black kids, we had white kids, we had kids like I'm black and Mexican. We had kids who were white and Vietnamese. We, we had the whole group. And so I'm so I'm thinking like I grow up in this place where everybody gets along because they have to cuz we're all there in the classroom. And then when I moved to the states, it's not like that. And then I read this play that blows up. Yeah. And it's and it's and it's great because um when I read your prose um you know, I won't say I thought of Leroy Jones specifically, but like, like now that we're talking about him, uh, a lot of your essays are on that tip. You know, uh, talking about the real world using poetic language to make a powerful point, point. Um, and that's what I found super exciting about the stuff that you're doing.
1: Well, thank you, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Um, what brought you to Community Profile?
1: Oh, when I saw that they were um, they were reaching out to uh, t- to queer to queer writers. Uh, I really, I really needed that in my life. I needed to be around other queer writers. I needed to, uh, hear those voices and they needed to share my voices with them. And, um, so I just got involved in the workshops and I, um, it just, it just felt, uh, just so wonderful to be able to, uh, to, to, to hear the diversity of voices even within that. And, and, um. Yeah, and it was great.
0: And you're a really uh, different voice than the others, you know, um, which is g- exactly what, you know, gr- groups like that need all the time, you know, and, and your sensibility and your uh, political uh, acuteness, you know, um, has really sure. been fantastic. Did, and you brought some stuff to read with us today. I did. I did. Great. Uh, um, did you want to talk about them beforehand? or just want to launch right into it.
1: I could say a little bit uh, th- I. the. Um, it's just kind of came out stream of conscious. Um, like a lot of people, I'm sure I've kind of wrestled a lot with what has been going on in our country and what
0: has, has something been going
1: on? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So uh, Marvin Gaye, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, but, uh, it's, and it's just been, uh, really hard to wrap my head around. And, uh, so I guess this is all an attempt to do that.
0: All right, which one are you going to read for us first?
1: Uh, so I'll just read it. Uh, it's called uh, Pandemic. Take it away. The pandemic's insistence makes it official. The party is over. Everybody, please go back to your home. In the span of a week, all extraneous intermingling protracted. What were once free-flowing human clusters all stalled in place. The division cemented. And an already fragmented society makes their fractures physical. The doors were closing. There was only a brief window for the cutoff period, and the amputations were severe. Family units, friend units, it was or sink or swim time for couples. Developing relationships had to be consecrated or let go. Many went inside with a wave and a promise, See you on the other side. Though physically divided, there was, briefly, the signs of collective interest, For the first time in everyone's life, we all hit the pause button, together. The machine stopped, or so it seemed. Essentials kept flowing. It became finally clear to all what was essential. Healers and caregivers retained operations. The real money changers worked around the closures and found ways to subsist. Within separate pods, life continued. Industries still profited from the pod life, as this blueprint for humanity had long been laid out. We just hit the accelerator, the retraction, the isolation. All of this could be commodified. There were certain things that could not be replicated as it once was, the spaces where we breathe the same air. But it was all with a sense of purpose, an idea that there would be another side. All found the change difficult, but many could not cope. The repetition of routine, the walls closing in, joblessness, The powers that be were amongst the impatient. They needed the machine operational to its fullest extent. They were tired of suddenly being inundated with the values they sought so long to eradicate. Community health, public good, collective welfare. These were values that had been demonized for generations, and their resurgence could break that spell that had been cast for all this time. The great golden bull must be fed. Now there is no mistaking what has always been true. Consumers are not expendable, but human beings are. The bodies are tossed in the machines grinding gears, but instead of feeding the gods of money, they all become shoes. The French sabots that grind the gears to a halt and gives us the word saboteur or sabotage. For inside many of those pods there was also an unrest. Not the unrest instilled by stillness, but a deep dissatisfaction with the machine's injustice. The fears of the powerful were all true, like the return of a mighty rain or virgin birth. The people in the pods remembered what mattered utmost. Through the Zoom funerals and space bubbles, a composite remnant of humanity struggles to endure. A question hangs over the unknown future. Will there be another side? For nothing can return to what it once was, but it can always become something new. In the unavoidable interconnectedness of all these fragmented pods, the factors may all change, but the promise remains. See you on the other side.
0: That is beautiful, Ajay. Uh, one of the primary goals of any artist, I think, well, one of the things that really makes an artist special, is when they can take something ugly or tragic or devastating and they use that stuff to make something beautiful. Uh, and I feel like that's really what happens with your prose, and it flows really easily. It's it's great work. Um, Thank you.
1: Yeah, I, I just um, it was so hard to uh, put words to to all these uh, to all these different factors and feelings happening right now. This just it's just, uh, it's just uh, not what anybody has ever been used to before.
0: <laughs> so. Do you see a way out?
1: I do see a way out. I, th- I see it as, um, I see an, an opportunity everywhere. I, th- I see it as a great opportunity uh, for humanity to reflect and look inward. Um, some will and some will not, but I, I am always hopeful right. for the future.
0: Right. But let's take a break right here. This is Voices from the Real World featuring Ajay Tripathi.
1: and throbbing. There are two worlds in this story, reality constructed as we know it, and a world that sometimes resembles the real as we fantasize about it. She was in control. Control Control of her body.
0: Control of her thoughts. Control of him. And she would make him wait. Make him him beg. Sounds too (laughs) male bashing. Make him ask? Ugh. Ugh. Fuck it. Make him beg. Make them both beg.
1: Mom, where's your eyeliner? On the Top Shelf next to the Ben Gay. Hot and Throbbing by Paula Vogel. Directed by Jamie M. Ray. Is available for streaming November 4th, 2020 to June 20th, 2021. To members and non-members at Profile Theater On Air. Learn more and listen
0: at profiletheater.org. And we're back with Voices from the Real World, featuring Ajay Tripathi. Um, can we uh, talk about your second one? Or sure. Do you want to lead, lead, lead into it? Sure. Uh,
1: this one is, is is a little bit more in response to uh, an essay that came out recently in Harper's Magazine about um, about the idea of cancel culture. Uh, oh, yeah. and um, I saw that. And it's uh, just... Uh, I, 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 and it was a plea for uh, an intellectual debate. So I thought, well, okay, let's let's engage that. Let's de- let's t- let's talk about some of the issues. So that was kind of the impetus for, uh, for this piece. Cancel culture is foremost a tool against the marginalized, disenfranchised, and oppressed those whose livelihoods were cancelled from the get-go or never allowed to take shape in the first place. We must remember all that has been previously cancelled. Were our libraries not burned to the ground? Our histories cancelled? Our schooling cancelled? Our homes? Our lands? Our resources? Our water? Our air? All cancelled. In retribution, there is no ethical lapse in attempting to cancel our own dehumanization. How can we tolerate a modicum of such a viewpoint? What manner of civil discourse could possibly derive from the acceptance of it? Can we reasonably be expected to sacrifice a piece of our humanity for the pursuit of intellectual rigor? Does dehumanization not demand a forceful rejection and subsequent eradication? A powerful tool must be wielded carefully— Certain care must always be taken to not turn into our our oppressor or play into their narrative. Certainly space must be reserved for the nuanced, the complex, the incomplete, the misdirected, or the artful. We must also be wary of polarized thinking or unbalanced extremism. Still, reappropriating the oppressor's tactic does not validate their actions— Though there may be collateral damage in the eradication of dehumanization, the greater harm would be in allowing those structures to remain intact. It is better to err on the side of the disenfranchised. To avoid the abuse of this tool, one must examine the power structures being played out. Beware the erasure of one's suffering, but do not fear the erasure of the powerful. The purpose of dominance is to dominate. These voices always find a platform. It must then become necessary to dismantle in order to build something new. For a healthy exchange of ideas to subsist, there must be a healthy foundation to build upon. A healthy foundation cannot flourish under the shadow of dehumanization.
0: Ajay, I cannot overemphasize enough how much this piece spoke to me and how much of these thoughts that I have all the time and i appreciate you putting putting them in such poetic language yeah. um I, I feel like i feel like this is a thing uh that uh people of color have to deal with and understand um in a way that you know other people just don't and um you know on that uh harper on that letter the, that was harper's i was really shocked and surprised by some of the names that were on the on yeah. that list and the the lack of understanding or appreciation that seemingly must come just from being rich.
1: Yeah, it it, it did seem like um, there's there's a certain form of of cancellation in the in the reaction in the reaction to it that there uh, it feels it feels like there is a segment of the population that is not being heard on these issues and they're always forced to temperate their uh, temperate their reactions to their own dehumanization.
0: I mean exactly because I, I feel like you know because I hate phrases like cancel culture and mm-hmm. political correctness and uh, even like affirmative action. Like people who are against affirmative action are people who have, al- have who have always benefited from a- affirmative action in the past. You exactly. know, you know, they always got a pass before, and 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 because that's the norm, they just don't see it that way. You know, I remember when the term political correctness became a, a thing. You know, and it's as though. Um, you know, um, and and I know that people spread this fear around like that people of color and black people and um, and and queer folk are all of a sudden running the world. And that's what's politically correct, mm-hmm. even though out of, you know, 45 presidents, 44 have been white and male. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like what's really politically correct? You know, when you when you go to court, you still have to put your hand on a Bible and say, I, I swear to God, you know, what's really politically correct?
1: Right to them, uh, they define politically correctness as uh, just being decent <laughs> to minority
0: groups. You know, right? Uh, you know, and it's like you know, I'm like cancel culture. Where does this phrase come from? Like, who, like you said in that piece, who's been canceling all along? Exactly. You know, all, all they ever do is cancel other people, and 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 uh, if you respond back to that at all, then then they're like, that's a violation of American principles. If you push back at all,
1: right? And there's always been a nonstop uh, censorship of, of, uh, of ethnic studies, of queer studies, of, uh, you know, science and sexual health, and and, and then they turn it around and say that you're you're trying to cancel something by calling it out in the first place. It's, um, it's a tactic, but I, but I don't. I, it's like there's this. Um, Fantasy universe where everything's ruled by uh, by people of color and, and of queers and and uh, and they don't allow any uh, dissenting thought from that. It's it's uh, not the reality.
0: It's amazing to me how much I hear people uh, deliberately uh, trying to. Um, put the 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 movement for a greater civil rights for a greater amount of people in a different, in a perspective of like the invaders invading. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I see, uh, I can't remember her name, the woman who's like in, I don't remember, I don't even really say what it was, but, but, but like when I see prominent people who are like Black Lives Matter, and actually, because there's a few who have said this now, Black Lives Matter is a violation of American principles. Yes. You know, it's like, I mean, when it comes to revolutionary names, Black Lives Matter feels like the lowest bar you could ask for. <laughs> you know, not like black like Black Lives Conquests. Yeah. You know, kill all the whiteies. Feels like you we know, don't just mattering at all would be like the lowest thing you could ask for. And saying that Black Lives Matter is a violation of American principles, I'm like, you're saying quite a lot right there. Yeah, that
1: that that really shows uh, where their perspective is at. That that if if that is a controversial statement, then.
0: And that is the mindset that coins this phrase, cancel culture, like, like, you know, like everything you're saying. You mentioned uh, in one of our conversations that you also had some stories that I you're do. working on.
1: I do. I, yeah, I'm, working a, 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 I'm also working on some plays uh, as well. I've been, um, been focusing on playwriting a lot as, as well.
0: Well, um, I might have to have you come back on at some point and give us a taste of some of that action.
1: That would be wonderful. All right. I'd be happy to.
0: Well, Agitropathy, thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic work. Excellent writing. And I hope that you will join us again.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Bobby.
0: And as you guys know, I am Bobby Bermea, and this is Community Profile, voices from the real world. Real people telling their real stories. For more information about Community Profile or Profile Theater, go to profiletheater.org slash profile To hear more podcasts, go to profiletheater.org slash on air, where you'll find other episodes of Voices from the Rural World, as well as Profile Theater's audio plays. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, I'm taking all comers. Write me at Bobby B at profiletheater.org. This podcast was recorded at the studio of the Willamette Radio Workshop, and the music is by Rodi Ortega. One love and peace out.